Good morning. It's good to see you here with us today. Uh, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. I love seeing all our students up here up front. Uh, I'm excited to see you and that you're up front. And if you are a Kidmo leader, please go with them. Um, <laughs> if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth, that's a bunch of them today. Uh, if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a time for them to have their own teaching, small groups, games, um, snacks, things that they do back there. When we're done in here, when I'm done with you, I should say, uh, you can go pick them up. No, it's not going to be that bad. I will say today, I'm going to encourage you to begin with an expectation of some transparency for all of us. Because what we're going to talk about today requires us not to stay on the surface. There are places in Scripture that you can stay on the surface. There's not very many of them, I'll be honest. But this is not one of them. So some of the things I'm going to ask you, some of the things I'm going to share with you, some of the things that we're going to talk through are going to require us to recognize we are not everything. We do not have it all together. And brokenness is not just a part of life. It is a part of the work of God in our lives. So when we come and we try to avoid appearing or being broken, we deny the very reality of who we are inside of us. Now, some of you are keenly aware of your brokenness right now. In fact, you're here and you're like, I'm ready. Let's, let's rock and roll. I need some answers because I'm tired of being broken. Um, I hope to provide a, a, a path for you. For some of you, you're here and you're like, yeah, I've been broken, but I'm not right now. <laughs> that is someone who does not understand themselves. Now, you may have gone through worse periods of brokenness in your life, and you're not in one of the worst periods of brokenness, but I find that God constantly keeps me in a place of brokenness. Not brokenness of defeated, being defeated, but brokenness and being moldable. Because what we're going to talk about today is the fact that God is at work in your life, and some of the things God's doing, you're not okay with. And some of the things God's doing in my life, I'm not okay with. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or that God is not at work doing good things. If you're our guest today, uh, you will find we are a bit of a weird church. Um, and that's not because of me. I'm not weird. Um, at, well, I really am. I'm pretty weird. Um, some have referred to us as the island of, uh, what was it? Um, misfit Toys. Thank you. Our hope for our church, see, I can't even remember my own analogies. That's how weird we are. And our hope is to be a place where you can explore Christ and we can be honest about it. We're not real good at pretending here. Uh, so what you see is what you get. It's not any better. It's not any worse. It could be worse, but probably not. It's definitely not any better. Um, you, what you see is what you get. And in this process, what I have felt, and some that I'm going to share with you in a little bit, through this process of church planning, which I'm not really a church planner anymore. We started this church 12 years ago, so I'm not really a planner anymore. God has done a lot to change the way I understand myself, our church, what the church is, and what it looks like to follow Him. Some of it He has not necessarily changed, but refined. Some of it He has changed. But we have come to a place in Genesis, and you're going to hear me ask some questions. You have the opportunity to stop me and ask questions or push back if you want to push back. I encourage you, have a well-thought-out um, argument if you want to push back. If you want to push back, I'm game. I think that's a, that is one of the ways we teach. Iron sharpens iron. That's one of the ways we learn. 
But have, have a thought out one. Have a thought. Ask my, if you don't have, it's not thought out, but you still are like, I don't know about this. Come talk to me after and we can have an, an offline conversation about that. Um, we are coming through Genesis to a place of recognizing that God works in a, in a consistent trend throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of life, and is still working in this trend until the time that he returns. And that is the pattern of God creating, uncreating, and recreating again. So we've seen that now through Genesis 1 through 7. We've seen that several places. We've seen God created, everything was good. God even put the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, which would eventually be the um, opening point of sin entering into the creation of us leaving the Garden of Eden, and all of our problems began there. But before that, everything was good. God created, and it was good. But we see God coming back in behind the story in that uncreation of pulling them out of the Garden of Eden and yet caring for their needs and clothing them, still being with them, though not quite in the exact same way. And we see new birth, new creation, as Adam and Eve have um, what we read as their first children, Cain and Abel. Uh, and they had a sibling rivalry that rivals any that you've ever had. And we saw another moment of uncreation, and yet God still comes in with new creation with the birth of Seth. Now, we have come in this story to a place where not only do we see these kind of small themes of God creating, uncreating, and then recreating, we see the bigger theme throughout Genesis 1 through 11, which is God created and it was good, and then sin entered in and God began to uncreate. Chaos entered into that creation. And and then we have this wonderful place where God has decided, well, this may be not feel wonderful, where he says, I regret, I am sorry. If you'll remember, we looked at uh, the word for, <clears throat> for sorry and the fact that he was changing his mind. There are 30 places that same word is used in the Old Testament. They all refer to changing your mind. 24 of the 30 talk about God changing his mind. So if that messes with your theology, you need to go back and you need to read the text. It shouldn't mess with your theology. It doesn't mean that God is uncertain. It just means that God is always moving in new ways. But in the moment in which he decides, I am going to uncreate it all. This that I anticipated, that I wanted, that I uh, created and it was good, I'm going to wipe it all out. But Noah found favor in his eyes. So we're picking up the story here. As Noah has been preparing to build the ark, uh, he has built the ark. He has brought all the animals into the ark. And what we found was it was so interesting is uh, in the, all the references to what uh, Noah was supposed to do with these animals, they're always listed in reverse order of the creation order that we read in Genesis chapter 1. God created this, 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 and this. And then he removes them in the opposite order. And then when the floodwaters come, they all die in the opposite order. It is an intentional image of uncreation. I am withdrawing and taking away that which I have created. Now, we talked a little bit last week, and we're going to talk even more this week about what does it look like when God uncreates within our life. Because uncreation doesn't feel good. Never feels good. But there's a purpose behind it that if we have faith then that purpose is good, and we need to dive into this to, to go where that takes us. I want you to recognize 
that what God is doing in all of this story of Noah is showing us that there are some places and levels of brokenness that cannot be repaired easily. So let's dive in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. It says, but there's so, this word is so important throughout all of Genesis 1 through 11, but in spite of, we could say in spite of, but God remembered. I want you, I want you to remember that word because we're going to spend a lot of time on that word today. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow. Now, we're going to come back to this. I just want you to know that word for wind there is the word ruach. The Hebrew word ruach is the same word of God breathing life into us. When we talks about we have the breath of life, this is the same breath. This is the same wind that's blowing over the face of the waters. And God made a wind, a ruach, blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. She returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah went, excuse me, so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundredth In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. All right. So when we look at the flood, we often know the terms or the math in that it rained for how long? Okay, 40 days and 40 nights. Anybody can endure this for a month, but as we enter into this story, we, as we enter into what's happening with Noah and what God's about to do within Noah's life, we have to look back at the whole picture. And I don't know if he's here today, but Jeremy, had a, he came up and had a great conversation with me last week about how long was this whole flood encounter actually. And what we're, we'll find is from the time that the first raindrop dropped to the time in which they walk out of the ark over a year has passed. So there's a long period of time. Now, we have a fairly new dog in our house. And some of you have heard about our dog and have even been asked to take this dog from us. And have every one of you said no. If you're looking for a dog, come see us. Anyways, I was talking with Deidre this week. This dog is crazy. I mean, literally 
certifiable. Uh, If there was such a thing, and I'm sure there is, if there were a dog psychologist, and you know there is, somewhere, someone has a degree in this somewhere, they would sit down and they would say, yeah, there's nothing we can do with her. So when we, when we first got this dog, I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. When we first got this dog, we were told it was a lab mix, to which we had a lab before. And that lab laid around the house all the time. It was wonderful. Hey, how are you doing, Sadie? She'd get up, eh, plop. Yes, that's our speed. That is our speed. What we found out after we had her and she began to grow we found out, oh, so she is a lab mixed with a Jack Russell Terrier, possibly a Great Dane, and some even question whether she might have a little bit of pit bull in her. All right. Let me just tell you that personality is very different than a lab. All right. Now, I told Deidre, we had a conversation this week, and I said, you know, we come into the house and it's like every moment of our lives is about this dog. Every moment. If we're, if we're not with her, she destroys stuff. If we are with her, we can't do anything else. And so she just kind of takes over our lives. If we, you know, shoot her up with, with Benadryl, we don't do that. But if we, we could. But, you know, if we put her in her crate, then we just feel guilty. So our whole life at home is this. We've got to care for this dog and make sure it doesn't destroy our house. Or put her in her crate and feel guilty about it. I, can you imagine? You have two of every kind of beast on the ark. And you're shut up for a year with them. Now, we can put Sadie, Josie up. Her name's Josie. We can put Josie up and we can leave. But you can't leave if you're Noah. And I imagine, now, if you talk to different scholars, they'll say, well, uh, God caused a calm to come over the animals. Well, that's not in the Bible. So that's us trying to make it sound easier than it probably was. Uh, But here's Noah shut up. In this ark for a year. And as we look back over the time frame, here's what we know. So we know it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And then we know that the water remained for 150 days. 74 more days it takes for the mountains to emerge. So now we're at 224 days. 40 more days. Noah finally opens a window. 264 days total now. After 21 days, the birds have kind of gone to and fro. They've gone out and they've come back trying to see if there's land. Now we're 285 days. 29 days later, Noah kind of uncovers the ark or removes the top of the ark. Uh, now we're at 314, and then it takes another 56 days before God says, now leave the ark. We're looking at 370 to 371 days. That's a long time to be in with a bunch of animals, all right? I can't imagine a year in the same house with Josie never getting to leave. She is wonderful. We do have a lot of fun with her um, sometimes. And, but as we look through this, there are some more numbers I want you to see. All right, we're going to come back to these. Total event from start to finish was somewhere around 370, 371 days. Next slide. The total days of the water swelling, as we, as we looked last week when we talked about the deluge, the water, water was coming from everywhere, which is how our challenges often come at us. They were coming out from the ground. It was raining. The firmament had been removed. The water that God had separated that was up in the atmosphere comes tumbling down onto the earth. I mean, it's just coming from everywhere, which is exactly how life's problems come. And so as all of this is happening, there's 150 days of water increasing on 
the face of the earth. Interestingly enough, it takes another 221 days for that water to recede so that the ground is dry and they can leave the ark. And what we're going to find is that oftentimes when the storms come within life, it takes longer for the storm to leave than for the storm to come. Has anyone else experienced that? Many times when God begins to work within our lives, it takes longer for the storm to leave than for it to come. Now, what we've read here is that this ruach, this wind that's blowing across the surface of the deep is God separating the waters again. Now, we can read this and just say, well, it must have been windy. (laughs) must have been windy there. But this is not really what the author is trying to tell us. With this intentional use of language, what he's trying to say is God has moved. So we've gone from creation to uncreation. God is breathing again to separate the waters because he is recreating again. I don't want to rehash last week's message. You can go back and listen online if you want to. But God is always recreating even we're in the midst of uncreating. This is him recreating again and recognize this is the same breath that God has breathed into us. God will breathe into the moment of your uncreation. We see at this moment that God is recreating. But there's something more significant than all of that, I believe, at least for us, because we tend to focus on us. I asked you the question, what was God trying to rescue last week? And the easy answer is, well, us, humanity. But he really was more than that. God was rescuing his idea for all of creation with Noah. It wasn't just humanity. He was rescuing his intent for us. But what we read in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 is, But God remembered Noah. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now, we could stop here and we could go run through this really quickly and go, Oh, that's interesting. Oh, this is what happened. And, oh, okay, interesting But this word for remember, I think it has implications for us far beyond just the fact that uh, God didn't forget. We can read remember as the opposite of remember being forget, right? Like God was out doing something. Oh, yeah, I forgot Noah's over there. But that's not really the opposite of remember. The opposite of remember is dismember. And I want you to keep that in your minds. All right? The difference between remembering and dismembering. The Hebrew word here for literally remembered literally means to remember, recall, call to mind. Now, we see it in several other places, not only in Genesis, but we see it in several other places uh, in the Old Testament Uh, but we have to get over the fact of believing that God just didn't forget him as if God could forget Hebrews 4.13 says no creature is hidden from his sight all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account God does not forget some of you are here today and you need to remember that God did not forget you 
And yet wherever you are within your life, you may feel forgotten. God does not forget. We see a few things, two main things we see in this idea of remembering. One is God chose to call to mind his promise to Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it said, we read this uh, last week, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. Now, we know of at least three primary covenants that God has made with us. Covenant number one, and we're going to talk more about this next week, is with Noah. This covenant in which he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. We're going to talk about that next week. We also know that God makes a covenant with Abram, who would become Abraham. God makes a covenant, a new covenant with us through Jesus. So God makes covenants with us, and that is an unbreakable promise. I am promising you this. I will not break this promise. I am making a covenant for you. In Genesis 19 through 29, it says, for it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, this is Sodom and Gomorrah, this is Abraham and Lot (coughs) are being removed from this area. God remembered Abraham and Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities for which Lot had lived. God remembered them. Genesis 30, 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And this is when she uh, becomes pregnant. God remembered Rachel. Once the Hebrews are enslaved in Egypt, Exodus 2, 24, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. There is a part of this remembering of God saying, I have a covenant with you. I will not break it. I am here with you. So when he remembers, he's remembering his promise to Noah. You should know before you leave this room, God does not forget you. Even when we turn our backs on God, he does not forget us. Now, this is important because some people did not enter into life in family relationships that you could say this about your family members. You did not enter into the world in a relationship in which they will not forget me. You may have felt forgotten regularly. What we tend to do is ascribe to God the same kind of relationship we have with our parents. And it is important for some of you to know that God does not, nor has he ever, or will he ever, forget you. He regularly calls you to his mind. God does not forget you. We talked about being created in God's image. One of the things I had you say was to tell each other, God sees more in you than you see in yourself. We also need to say that to ourselves. God sees more in me than I see in myself because you are made in his image. We saw the fact that that image follows us even after the fall. We're still made in his image. And we looked at several passages that said that. We're still made in his image. We also looked at what is sometimes the uncomfortable reality that those people that we don't like and we would choose not to have anything to do with, they also bear the image of God. So we have more in common, even with people we don't like, than we would like to admit. God does not forget us, no matter what.
Not only does he not forget us, but God chooses to remember, and this is an important, important piece. God chooses to remember your past and your future. We don't often think about remembering as just that which was. But when God remembers a covenant, he is remembering that which was and that which will be. When we begin to look deeper at this remembering Noah, God is not just remembering what he said to Noah. He's remembering what he is committing to do in Noah's life. And God has made a commitment to every one of us that he's going to do something in our lives because God does not forget us. And one of the things that I think is important for us to recognize in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with the people we care about, and in the relationships with people we don't know or don't care about, that God doesn't just recall us. Like, oh, yeah, that Mark guy, I remember him. He's kind of a weird guy, but yeah, I remember him. God doesn't just recall us. He chooses to remember us. After we have been dismembered. He chooses to remember us. So we had some good conversations when we first started talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One of the topics that often comes up with that is uh, the ability to choose why was that tree there. One of the things I share with you is I believe that the tree was there because a full life is only found when we have to restrain ourselves. There it is. It's good. Don't, don't eat from it. Oh, come on, God. Nope. There's a tension that God has built within the creation in which when that tension is broken, we are broken. But several of you brought up some good points about, well, God's given us the ability to choose, which I 100% believe. I do believe he wanted us to choose him. Part of that tension is choice. Restraint is choice. Choosing him rather than we have no choice but to choose him. God did that intentionally. He wants us to choose him. But just as we can choose him, he chooses to remember us after we have been dismembered. And the reality is in our relationships with other people, we have to choose them too. So I don't know what your life is like. Our life's a little busy. We have a lot of things going on. Um, as much as we would like for you to think everything in our life goes well and perfect, it doesn't. I know that's a surprise. Some of you came here today, and you would really like credit for the fact that you made it today, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Mostly it's going to be moms. Mostly it's going to be the moms in the room going, yep, the fact that we're here today is a minor miracle. All glory to God. But listen, I'd like a little bit of credit for that. Um, I'd like to have credit that we made it today. And so you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not talking to any of you people because this is my few moments that I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that. I'll be quite honest. I'm like, let's wrap this service up. I'm ready to go home. (laughs) We have to choose each other. See, relationships are always about choice. Now, you say, well, I didn't really have a choice with my kids. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You choose how you relate to your children. But I, my guess is, is that you choose your kids regularly, right? I choose. They make me mad. I still choose them. I mean, I could kill them right now, but I'm going to choose not to. We choose. 
Now, you have friends within your life. You have chosen to be their friend. And the reason you have chosen it is because they don't do anything that makes you want to be their friend. Can I get an amen? Okay, nobody's but me in this. All right, I get it. Or maybe you're sitting next to them right now. I don't know. But there are people that we choose to be their friend because it's the right thing to do. I fortunately have some friends that choose me even when I'm not a good friend. No amens are necessary. But I'm thankful for my friends that choose me. Because they can do all kinds of other things with their lives, with their time. They don't have to check in on me. They don't have to call me up. They don't have to say, hey, let's go grab coffee. They don't have to do those things. And yet they choose me. Those people mean something to me. Now, as followers of Jesus, we recognize God chose us. And yet he still wants us to choose him. And then he wants us to spread that around to other people. And this is how people will know we actually have chosen God because we love other people. Which requires you to choose to love other people. So when you come in and you're tired, you don't want to talk to anybody, you choose people. And it costs you something. It also costs God something to choose us. Now, some of our more um, hard-minded people would say, well, God should have just wiped everybody out and started over and done away with not even to save Noah. Just left them out. Well, you wouldn't have been here either. Well, that's probably the right thing to do. That's pretty hard-minded. God chose us. I want you to keep that word choose in your mind because it's an important word. It's an important part of this. When we look at Noah, Noah was living in a world that was in the process of uncreation. It was being dismembered. As Noah was living in this process, God comes in and says, but I am going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to remember you. And yet Noah is going through the process of seeing all of this, proclaiming a message of repentance, turn back to God, and yet no one does. And this is where we find God choosing him. This idea of remembering. And we do this in a few different ways. One of the things we do uh, either on the first or second month uh, for second month, first or second week of the month, we rotate it because we have children's workers that often uh, will serve every first month or every first week or every second week. But we do communion here. One of the reasons we do communion is to remember Christ. His body who has been broken for us, we remember what he has done for us. This is a crucial part of our understanding of our Christology and understanding what it looks like to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to be with Jesus. It is the recognition that we need to choose to remember him. This Wednesday night, we're going to, for the first time, 
I've ever done it, we're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. And I would encourage you to join us Wednesday at 6.30. It will be no more than an hour, probably a little less. Ash Wednesday is a part, and it is the ushering in of a part of the church calendar we call Lent. Now, if you read our blog for this week, you already know all this stuff. But Lent is something we don't even really know when Lent started, but we think it started around 325, 327 A.D. with the Nicene Council. This is about the time, if you remember our history lessons we've done in here, this is about the time um, in which Christianity is being legalized and, and Constantine is basically saying this is now the empire's religion, which created all kinds of problems for us, created some solutions to some problems, but created all kinds of new problems for us. But they began practicing this expectation of uh, celebrating the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And they called it Lent. And so they went back to the story of Jesus right before he began his public ministry, and he went into the desert, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he prayed. This is the time in which Satan comes and tempts him within the, uh, at the desert, and he continues to quote Scripture, and he would continue to stay firm on his purpose there. But for that 40 days and 40 nights, they said, let's do that leading up to Easter. And so that begins Ash Wednesday, and it goes through the, the Thursday before Easter, in which we will have a Maundy Thursday service. We did that last year. Now, if you're good at math, you'll know, well, that's more than 40 days. Well, they don't count Sundays. Because Sunday should be times of celebration. But the, pat, the, the time of Lent is meant to be reflective. It's meant to be a time when we remember what it costs for God to choose us. And so last Palm Sunday, we had palm fronds in here. And some of you have been asked, well, why are they still here? Because we're going to burn them. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. We're going to try not to burn down the church. But we're going to burn them and we, you create ashes. Now, Lots of very liturgical systems do this process, and we don't do a whole lot of that here. We do Advent, and we're going to do Lent uh, this year. But when you come in on Sunday, it's going to be a very, or Wednesday, it's going to be a very quiet service. And the point is that we need to be reflective, and we need to recognize that there's a lot of mourning in the Easter season. Advent is fun. You know, we get to go shopping and have parties and a baby's going to be born and we sing Christmas carols, but Good Friday is a time of mourning. And so Lent is that 40-day period leading up to the Thursday before Easter is that period of saying, I'm going to give up something. Now, I would encourage you not to give up food and water. I don't know if you took biology, but when I took biology, they say you die when you eat nothing and drink nothing. And even as we go back and study uh, what fasting was in the Old Testament, there was still some you know, basic sustenance to keep you alive. All right? But I want you to be thinking between now and Wednesday of something you would like to intentionally either limit or give up for this 40-day period of time. Some of you have done things like I give up TV, I give up my cell phone, I give up um, social media, um, I do limit what I eat or I 
I won't eat this favorite food that I have, something. Now, the point is not that we prove our love for God because we're willing to give something up. The point is, is that we restrain ourselves. Remember, there's a point at which all of life restraint is necessary for a full and happy life. We restrain ourselves, and in that restraint, we feel a loss. And in that moment of loss, we recognize Jesus gave his life for us. And we focus our attention in those moments on him. So it actually serves a dual purpose. We align ourselves with the suffering of Christ. And at the same time, we remember him. And we don't just blow through Easter. Big music, lots of people on stage, Easter egg hunts, things like that. We don't just blow through it, but we recognize God chose us and it costs something. So we'll do that. This Wednesday, you'll have the option if you want. Historically, you take the palm leaves from the previous Palm Sunday, the year before, you burn them, create ashes, and you'll have the option to come up and either have a small cross made on your forehead or on the top of your hand, or you don't have to do it. If you think that's just too weird or it's the mark of the beast or something, you don't have to do it. But it's meant to show others, I'm entering into a season of Lent. I'm entering into a season of restraint. And we're doing it at night. A lot of churches do it like early in the morning and you go to work that way. And you're supposed to leave it on until the day's over. So we're doing that. Monday, Thursday is when we kind of come out of Lent. And we'll have another service. Both services will be practicing uh, communion together. We'll be taking communion together. And this service will be very quiet. That's why we're going to have child care for little ones. It's going to be fairly somber. Now, there are a lot, other churches do a lot more than we're going to do, but our point is let's, let us remember what Jesus has done for us. So I would love for you to be here. It's at 6.30. It will be over by 7.30. As we look in this story, what we find is that when we are broken... God puts us back together through Christ. He did that with Noah. He did that with Abraham. He did that with the Hebrew people in Egypt. He did that over and over again with the Hebrew people before Jesus came. And he did that through Jesus. He is constantly desiring to put us back together. Now I want you to remember the totals of all these times that it took. 371 days from start to finish. 150 days for the water to cover the earth, 221 days for it to recede. I want you to remember that. Because it did take longer for the waters to recede than for the waters to flood the earth. It usually takes God longer to remember you than it took for you to be dismembered. I want you to keep in mind, why, why did it take 221 days? So I've already said, I am fine if this is historically accurate and that there were six 24-hour periods. I'm fine if it's not. It doesn't bother me either way. But if God can create everything in six days, don't you think he could get rid of the water in less than 220? 
It makes you wonder why did it take so long for the waters to recede because they didn't just, you can't say, well, you know, um, when I studied um, agriculture, the water can only, or the ground can only absorb so much water. And yet what we have already read is that the Ruach, God, is blowing the breath of life over the body of water to separate it. So God is actively recreating in this moment, but he takes 220 days to do it. Some have said it is to prepare. The, it's what the, the earth needed. But yet, what if it's also what Noah and his family needed? What if they needed time? See, some hurts are so deep and so rooted and intertwined in every, every part of our life that we can't just come out of it. You can't just take it away. If you've been hurting for a long time in one area of your life, and even if in a moment it's fixed... You're miraculously healed. You don't just all of a sudden live as if none of that hurt was a reality. It takes time. If you've been hurt by someone within your life, maybe you've been in a marriage that's dissolved, maybe you had an abusive relationship with somebody else, you don't just get out of that relationship and then it's just over, right? Sometimes when God begins to work and knit you back together, it takes, it takes time. And so perhaps this 220 days wasn't just for the water to find an appropriate place to slip away to, but instead it is God saying, I need to prepare you, Noah. Because remember, God is not just saving him. God is recreating at this moment. He's making, again, what he intends to be. It usually takes God longer to remember you than it took for you to be dismembered. But I do think it's important within our culture that we love to be dismembered in this culture. It's important that you don't stay there. Now, some of you may feel that you have no choice. I've been broken like this for so long now, I can't not be this way. And I get it. But that's different from choosing to wear your brokenness on your sleeve. Post about it all the time. I just work it into a conversation. Oh, man, God's just doing so many good things in my life. Oh, boy, boy, I just wish I could have had that same testimony because I just, oh, I'm just so broken. Listen, brokenness is a way of life for all people, but brokenness is not something that we celebrate that we're broken. We celebrate what God does with the brokenness when he heals us. And yet what frustrates me within this culture is we want people to be broken. God doesn't want you to be broken, but he uses it. Our culture doesn't use brokenness to bring healing. It uses brokenness to keep you broken. And if we have faith that Jesus is the great healer, we should seek that healing. However, if it's taking a while, this is often the way God works. So we should be very careful to say, you should be over this by now. Can I just say, there is never a time that you should say to someone else, you should be over this by now. You should never say that because, one, you've just broken a relationship. And number two, you have no idea what God's doing or how deep their brokenness is. 
Some of us struggle with overcoming brokenness more than others. Don't make dismembering your new reality. Here's a question I want to ask you. Before I ask you this question, let me, let me uh, share a little bit from me. The question is, how has God remembered you? We have been, a number of us have been working with some pastors in our community for the last year or two. And what we have found is that the level of brokenness among pastors is just, it's, it's astonishing. The amount of depression and discouragement and fear. And the reason we, that pastors don't talk about it is because they're not supposed to feel those things as a pastor. Yeah, it's a good question. But there's something that in them that says, well, if I'm going to be your pastor, I need to just be sure that you know I have it all together so you can trust me on how you should get your life together. And that's one of the reasons we put pastors on a pedestal when we think they've done a good job, when they're not the one who did the job at all. And yet, if I, as I look back on my history as a pastor, God has remembered me. Now, I don't have as many moments of, I've been dismembered, now I'm remembered. Like, I... I'm constantly dismembered and remembered simultaneously. Does anyone else have that experience? Like there's a constant breaking and a constant putting back together. And I have found, and some in my family may have tried to show me this earlier, but they didn't do it the right way. But I have found that I have a fairly healthy ego. (laughs) I like to make things about me. And over the last 12 years, I have become the most unsuccessful church planner because I think we have fewer in attendance every year. I mean, that's really not the way you're supposed to do it. I know you all aren't pastors. Maybe some of you are, some of our guests are, but you're not supposed to do it that way. I'm just telling you. They don't teach you that in seminary. But that takes a hit on your ego. And through the years, I have gotten upset with God because I felt like we've done things the right way, which is also a very scary thing to say. I will tell you that right now. You shouldn't say that. I felt like we did things the right way, and there have been some very real breaking experiences over the last 12 years to the point where the ego is still there, but it's like gasping for its last breath, you know? And if God did not take me through moments of dismembering, he would not bring me to moments of remembering. And we live in a culture that right now, famous Christians are deconstructing their faith. That means they're leaving their faith and they're doing it very publicly. The one I, the most recent one that I um, came across was I don't know if you're familiar with Rhett and Link, Good Mythical Morning. If you're over forty, you probably have no idea who they are. All right, Ben's got me. Thank you, Ben. 
Back there, he's got me. These two guys were in youth ministry. They worked for Campus Crusade. They were for, worked with crew as missionaries to schools. And then they did this podcast, and they're one of the top five uh, YouTubers in the world right now. So if you haven't seen them, you're probably not ever on YouTube, is probably the reality. Or on Facebook, or on Instagram, or on just anywhere else that you have a device to see. And they came to a place where they, they came out of a highly conservative system that required the, the Bible to be 100% historically accurate in every moment. And that led them, especially Rhett, who's the tall red-headed guy, to question when science seems to question our faith. And they felt betrayed by the people that taught them. And they felt like that what they had learned in their faith was... Um, not real. And Rhett talks about his specifically, I, I had a relationship with Jesus. It was real. But because of these teachings that now seem at conflict with what they have now grown to know and live, they've decided to walk away from their faith. Which I think is the silliest thing ever. Because there's a lot of things that I have known that I found out later I was wrong, and now I know more. But the thing is, is what our culture loves is for you to deconstruct your faith, but what God loves is to deconstruct you. And I tell you this about me as a pastor, and we could go on a lot longer. We don't have a lot of time. We could go a lot longer on God's deconstruction of me. But I'm not the same person that started this church. And when we... I'm just, I'm meeting with a lot of pastors right now, and they're not the same person when they started pastoring either. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe it is a move of God among our city. So this weekend, this Thursday and Friday, we're taking 20 of them on a personal retreat. I mean, I don't even take personal retreats, but we're taking 20 pastors on a personal retreat. And the whole purpose of that is for them to remember Part of that means for them to put their relationships with each other back together. Because pastors typically don't like other pastors. We all think we're right and everyone else is wrong. You, that can't be a surprise. <laughs> kind of is. Not all. I'm, being, I'm exaggerating. But there's a very real reality. And so these 20 pastors have said, we're done with that way of life. And we're going to figure out how for our churches to do life together as the body of Christ. So we're going to spend some time just praying together. We're going to spend a lot of time praying together. We're going to spend some time just talking. Where are we at? Let's peel back the layers of the professional minister. And we're going to be talking about how do we move forward as the church is the way God intended. When we look at each other as true brothers and sisters, not just we have the same religion. And the way God has remembered me is God has had to take a lot of ugliness out of me to give you the beautiful creature that you have before you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 
That was bad. That was really bad. We'll take that out of the podcast. (laughs) But I have come to love the dismembering. James said it this way, count it all joy when you encounter trials of all kinds. Because then it produces in you a more perfect faith. Dismembering is not meant to destroy us. It's meant to refine us. The thing that I struggle with with Rhett and Link is they went completely in the wrong direction. If you have a real relationship with Christ, that's the real stuff. Not all the rules and the teachings and things. It's like Jesus is the real thing. We let the other stuff get in the way. If you felt like, and I, I don't know if he did or not, but he says he felt like he had that. Well, how did you let go of that? That's what I can't let go of when I want to get let go of everything else. That's the thing that keeps me here. And I just want you to know that in a world, and especially you guys, as some of your heroes are deconstructing their faith, God is going to want to deconstruct you. And when he deconstructs you, he's going to remember you. And he's going to make you something better. So my question, I've used up all your time. How has God remembered you? And I thought we would have this wonderful moving moment. I would still like to hear this from you. I need to finish this up. God always has a purpose for you after he remembers you. Verse 15, God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. After a year of being shut up in this ark, and I'm sure the animals were better than Josie, but after a year of being shut up in the ark, God says it's time to go. And I wonder if Noah thought, eh, we got a good thing going here. We've kind of got a system. We've worked it out. I mean, the animals are fine. Everybody's fine. I mean, do we really need to go? And I think one of the things that happens often within us is once we have been, God has begun piecing us back together, we're a little nervous to step out in faith again for fear that we will be dismembered again. But I want you to know that when you're remembered, he has a purpose for you. There's a risk. Some of you need to take a risk. God has. You're a testament. God has put me back together. And now it's time for you to take a risk again. I don't know what that risk is. I don't know if that's in a relationship that needs to be restored. I don't know if that means you need to start sharing your faith again. I don't know if it means you've got a talent God's given you and you're not using it for the kingdom at all. I don't know what it is. But God's going to call you to risk again. He's going to call you to a new purpose. What is the ark of safety and security that God is calling you to go out of? We all have this moment with God when we've been restored. Let's just stay here. Where's God calling you out? Is it a new area of ministry? Is it a new 
way of serving? Is it a deeper level of obedience? Is it that pet sin that you enjoy and you know you shouldn't, but I enjoy it, but you need to give it away? What's the ark you need to leave today? He's called us for great things and for great risk for his kingdom. Here's what I'm going to leave you with. There's lots of jumping off points today, so I don't know what you will leave with today. But if you haven't found it yet, let me leave you with this. God still remembers you. He still remembers you. Spend your life remembering him. Father, I thank you that even though we don't fully understand all that happened in these chapters, I thank you that you'd still remember us. Thank you for the testimonies that I know are in this room of brokenness that have been healed. We've been dismembered. Some of us are being dismembered right now, and, and it feels, feels bad. And yet you want to do something good through it. I pray that you would allow us to see the good that you are doing within us. I pray that all of our testimonies in the future, whenever that is, will be, God dismembered me. <laughs> Then he remembered me, and I am so thankful for it. For those who are in that moment of uncreation, that moment of chaos, and that moment of dismemberment, Father, I pray that you would just give them a glimpse of your creative, passionate, grace-filled hand. And I pray that you would begin to move there. I pray, as we take these pastors this week, that you would move in the lives of these pastors to bring healing and to bring hope and to bring new life in all of our faith communities in Chattanooga. Father, I just pray that as we leave this place, just as you have chosen us, you chose to remember us, we will choose others. And Father, in the moments in which we are just tired and worn out and just have nothing to offer, you would breathe life into us again. Help us to see you fully. And help us to let others see you fully too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.